Hey, Road to Life, we love you. We're so glad to be back together on our podcast. This week, we're hearing from Pastor Micah Shepline. We love when he comes and visits. So make sure you give this podcast a listen. For more information, visit roadtolifechurch.com and we'll see you next week. So what I want to talk about today is legacy moments. And what's funny to me is, like I said, I feel like what, what the context is, is this. I think a lot of the times what we do when we talk about legacy, which is being remembered for something, right? We think about the context of, okay, what are things that will get me remembered, right? And so within the cultural scheme of things, I think a lot of the times what we do is we have ideas of, okay, if I do this, if I live this way, if I do these actions, if I have these attributes, then people will remember me, which, which in context makes sense. But no offense in scripture, what we see is, is that when we actually partner with God is that's ultimately when legacy is not only established but it's way more profound than we realize. And how we know this is because, in my opinion, right, if I told you there would be one act of your life that would be remembered forever, and it could be as significant as buying some or as giving your lunch away, how many of you guys know that you'd sign up for that? Okay, I buy lunch for somebody and everybody knows me for eternity. Well, we know that in Scripture because the boy who gave the fish and the loaves that fed the 5,000. Or the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her perfume. Wherever the gospel is preached, this act will be remembered. See, even the most insignificant, small things that we do when partnered with God can be remembered forever. And I think a lot of the times what happens is, is maybe some of us, we lay awake at night and we go, God, I want to be remembered, but we don't partner ourselves with him. We partner with establishing our own identity, our own name, our own brand, our own image, our own whatever account out there on whatever platform out there. But today the challenge is, is for us to evaluate, okay, God, what is it that you want to do with my life and how can I partner my life to build your kingdom, which in turn leads to a legacy? Because all throughout scripture, it could be as insignificant as giving food. It could be as insignificant. You know what the Bible says? That even a cup of water given in my name will be remembered in eternity. I mean, it could be so insignificant, but once again, partnered with God, it can be remembered. And once again, like I said, I think a lot of the times we all have ideas of how we think things or what we think should be remembered. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like if you, if you were to do something outrageously courageous and brave, how many of you guys know you would think that would be remembered? But it not always is, case in point. Me and Javen, Javen is here, and another buddy of mine, Matt Reynolds, we were driving home from Kansas City. This is about seven or eight years ago. And as we're driving home, Matt can always count on you to leave in the middle of the sermon. Um, it's, it's okay. He's a board member. That's why I can roast him. Um, but uh, but, but uh, no, we were driving home from Kansas City. And if you know me, here's the thing. I found this out about myself. I used to drive through the night all the time to destinations. And I think I might've done it for the last time with Sean, my father-in-law who's in here. We did it with a 21-foot U-Haul about a month and a half ago. I don't recommend it anymore. I hit the dirty 30 and it's all downhill. 
Um, some of you guys are like, what does that mean? It's okay. Don't worry. It was a joke. People are like, I'm older than 30. Um, anyway, but I was driving through the night, and, and, and we drove through the night. It was the last time, but I was driving through the night in Kansas City. And if you know anything about me, my brother knows we used to have a concoction of five pre-workouts that we mixed into one tub, and then we'd take fat burners. And then if that wasn't working in the middle of the night, we started chewing sunflower seeds. And then if that wasn't working, cold water over the head every 15 minutes. If you think I'm lying, I have a system for everything. So dead serious, I was, I was in my typical night slot of about 11 p.m. to about 5 a.m. of driving, and we're in the middle of Kansas, and I look, and there are flames in a field, and Javen and Matt are both sleeping, and there are flames on the side of the road. There's a little fire here, a little fire here, and I'm looking, and I'm like, am I seeing fire, or am I just this tired, <laughs> right? And, I'm, and literally, all of a sudden, up ahead, I see a car on the side of the road on its side. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, and there's nobody around. And we're in Kansas, and only three people live there. And, and I remember I pull over, and I kind of shake up Javen and Matt, and we look, and, there's, and I look in the window, the, the, the window of the car, and there's two people inside. And there's uh, uh, a younger kid, probably a preteen, 12 years old or something, who was hefty, a hefty lad. He was yelling and, and obviously distraught, and then the driver was passed out knocked out unconscious. And I remember I look and me and Matt and, or, and Javen are looking at each other and we're like, and I remember we walk around back and we kind of like break in the window and I step, so the car's in its side, I step in the window and then I push the seats down and so I am standing in the back of the car, it's standing like this, the kid's right here and the guy's passed out right here and I remember I look at the kid and I'm like, there's no way I'm going to be able to pick you up and get you out of the car. And he was, he was a big kid so we actually the window was broke above me, so I got on all fours. The kids stepped on my back. Javen and Matt stood on top of the car, pulled them out of the window, got him off to the side, and we're on the phone with 911, and they say, hey, stabilize the guy's head. And so I sit there till the ambulance arrives holding this guy's head straight. Now, how many of you guys know, brave and courageous, you're dang right, I don't even need you to say it. And I'll never forget it, too. I'm not going to get super gruesome in the details, but this guy was passed out, and I'm sitting here, and I remember now thinking in the car, I, nobody will ever believe that I'm doing this. Kids out there, belligerent, blah, blah, blah. Okay, the police show up, the paramedics. I crawl out the back of the car as they go in to kind of get the guy out because they didn't want me to take him out. And I remember me, Javen, and Matt are standing there, and the co a cop walks up to me and says, what are you guys doing here? I'm, and I just wanted to be like saving lives, <laughs> right? And he's like, he's like hey, uh, you guys, he's like, what are you guys doing here? I'm like, oh, we were the first on the scene, and uh, we got the kid out, and then I stabilized the guy's spine. And he's like, okay, well, you guys need to leave. And I'm like, leave? I looked at him, and in my mind, I'm like, leave, dude. We're the reason you're here. I'm like, I'm over here stopping in the middle of the night, pulling people out. I'm burning, putting out fires in fields, getting kids out of cars. Like, you want me to leave? You should leave. My tax dollars, and I'm not even from here. Tax dollars somehow. We're all getting taxed nowadays, right? No, I'm like sitting there, and I'm like, dude. And it's funny, though, because I'm like, I like look at him, and I'm so confused that this cop just straight up told me to leave. I'm like, do you need a statement? Do you need, like, my autograph? Like, do I get, like, 16 gold stars, like, just sewn on my jacket or something? Like, I get, he literally looks at me and goes, no, I, I'm serious. You guys need to leave. And I'm like, 
so distraught, so offended. And what's funny is I never got any credit for that until now. So thank you guys. It's been a wound. It's been a wound. And Javen, come on, Javen, you get a little. That kid was heavy. That kid was heavy. Kid was a soft 250. I swear. I swear he was. He was. Oh, thank you, mom. You didn't even say thank you. Good. But ge- genuinely, though, I remember I was like, so I remember driving home and Javen and Matt are back asleep in 10 minutes. And the whole way home, I'm like, I just saved lives that nobody even knows. Like there was no news cameras. There was no like, hey, you know, and, and what's funny is that's not the only time I've ever had done that, believe it or not. I've kind of had a weird like the Lord's hand on some situations. But I remember, though. Thinking about that as I was writing this sermon, because a lot of the times, right, no offense, that's a legacy thing. Like, it's like, oh, you saved people from a car accident in the middle of the night and pulled a kid from a car and stabilized a spine? Like, that's something that, like, you would think everybody, I should be known for. <laughs> but, but the thing is, once again, I'm not. And isn't it interesting how life works like that? Like sometimes the things that you think you'll be known for, you're not known for, but the things that you didn't think you'd be known for is what you're remembered upon. And I, once again, back to scripture, when I think about the passages of scripture where it's like the little things that we didn't think were that big of a deal that God multiplied. The tiny bit of willingness, the little bit of sacrifice, the, the time that we spent with somebody who didn't deserve it, the, the conversations that strengthened somebody, the things that we think aren't important that partnered with God could be the most important thing we ever do in our lives. Isn't that interesting how kingdom legacy works compared to humanistic legacy? You know, even the, if you think about... Um, some of the famous men in history who just thought, oh, I'll carve my name in stone and people will never forget my name. But then they never forget the name, but they also are viewed through negative lenses through history for their actions. See, I think once again, this constant state of what are we going to be remembered for? What are people going to say about you? And more than anything, I think that this is something that really should be talked about more in the context of our lives because Really, it just feels like the only time we bring it up is when people are gone. But if we today could have almost an alignment piece on God, I want my legacy to be in you. And I trust that if I'm in you and your will, that my legacy is secure. So what I want to do is I actually want to read a few uh, passages of scripture. And I want to read these because I think a lot of the times, you know, I don't get into apologetic debates on uh, spirituality. I just leave those for people on Facebook whenever they feel like it. Um, That was a joke you guys can laugh at. Hopefully some people are like, wait, is he talking to me? Anyway, um, but I I genuinely believe that a lot of the times we don't under, we over, a gloss over important aspects of scripture. And some of those, in my opinion, are what we're going to talk about today. And they're essentially... um, some of my favorites are like when people heard the audible voice of God. And what I mean by that is like, you know, the argument a lot of the times is I've never heard God's voice or, you know, God, and some people have, but, you know, I, I've never really had audible moments, but I follow his Holy Spirit, which is perfectly fine for me. And I, I can tell you this is that, but there are scriptures and passages of scripture where there's an audible conversation that happens. And what I want to do as it pertains to legacy is focus on audible moments where God spoke from heaven to earth. And it wasn't just Jesus teaching. It was literally God 
speaking to man. So there's three of them in the pat in, in scripture, and I want to in Jesus's ministry. And what I want to do is I want to focus on those three. The first one, Matthew three thirteen through seventeen. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered, let it be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to a rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. What's funny, though, is that there's passages after that where, like, people, and you, you have to understand that this isn't just John and Jesus out in the desert like two dudes randomly in a river, right? You, if you know anything about John, John is, like, in essence, one of the first Christian celebrities because he's out in the wilderness, and what's funny is, is he's eating locusts and honey, and he's a wild man, and I, I forget his clothing, Mom. What was his clothing? Yeah, he was wearing camel hair and just was a homeless dude in the desert baptizing people. How many of you guys know, I might want to go see that? Right? Actually, not today. Not today. <laughs> but, but here's the deal. And, and people knew he heard from God, knew he was a prophet. Everybody viewed him in such high esteem. So there's a crowd around. It actually said that John had disciples. There's a crowd around. And as this crowd is around, you see one guy go under the water. How many of you guys know we do baptisms every year? If all of a sudden the ceiling opened, the stratosphere parted, and then it was, hey, this is God. Good job down there. Right, because that's essentially the moment that happens. And not only that, like, I've never seen a bird tangibly land on someone. I've seen birds poop on people. Right, it's a little YouTube black hole for somebody later, right? I, and fun fact, my dad actually has a picture of a bird in Mexico randomly landing on my mom and not leaving her alone, which is fantastic, and I want to put it on the screen, but she would kill me. Um... But, but genuinely, right, we see a bird come from heaven where clouds were opened and a booming voice. How many of you guys know there really shouldn't be much debate going forward on this thing? However, there is. Then our second one is actually the transfiguration. It's found in three out of the four Gospels. In Matthew 17, it actually says, right, that as Jesus was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. A voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then it adds this caveat because sometimes we miss the point. It says, listen to him. I love that part because it's like Jesus in the first aspect is like, God's like, okay, this should do it, right? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Everybody should follow him. I literally opened the skies, dropped a bird on his shoulder and screamed it and everybody listened, right? Guess what? Didn't happen. So the second time he was like, okay, we're going to have to do this again, but this time I'm going to add the listen to him part because obviously people couldn't pick up on the hint. So what does he do? Okay, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And I love who they say it to because they say it to Peter, James, and John, which if you know, Peter needed to hear it every 20 minutes. And James and John in one instance, right, literally looked and were like, oh, we don't like those people. Hey, God, can you do that Elijah trick where you just drop fire on uh, people? Like right now, the people we don't like. Jesus is like, are you serious? You guys follow me and think these thoughts? And so what happens is, is we see first, right? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Second, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. But the third is what we're going to spend most of our time on today. 
And it's in John chapter 12, 25 through verse 36. Now, the reason I'm reading this is because I believe this is the key to most people's legacy. And what I mean by the key is, is I believe that if we're living this life through this lens and understanding the audible terms that God is using in this context and apply them to who we are, then this is the unlocking of the door. It says this, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will, my, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, this is Jesus directly quoted. As you guys can see, there's quotation marks right there. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose... I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Right, so this is interesting because this is almost Jesus verbally processing the assignment that's in front of him. And the assignment is this. He knows he's going to be crucified, and he references it here in a second. But what he actually is saying is he's saying, Father, man, this isn't the most pleasant, but it's for this hour I'm here. Glorify your name. You know, this life's a little bit hard but I was made for this time. Just glorify your name. And, and, and here's, here's what's interesting, right, is I think this is like a, such a transferable scripture to our life. God, I know life's a little bit tough, but there's a reason I'm here alive right now. God, I know that 2021 and 2020 have been difficult, but I know there's a reason you have me breathing right now glorify your name. God, I know work's been tough. Will you glorify your name? God, I know the marriage hasn't been the best. Will you, will, will you glorify your name? God, you know I, I'm struggling with the kids. Will you glorify your name? See, the, this, this extrapolates onto almost every single issue that we're going to face in life as if it's difficult. The prayer, Father, would you glorify yourself in this? And then this is where it gets interesting and I want you to remember. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it thought that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Jesus didn't need to hear that his name would be glorified in his life. He wanted other people to realize that their lives were created for the glory of God to be shown through. And then it says this. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. I want to talk about the two audible statements today as it pertains to legacy. The first one, right? For this purpose, I have come to glorify your name. See, a lot of the times I think we compartmentalize what it means to bring God glory. 
And what I mean by that is a lot of people would look at my life and say, okay, well, you speak on stages and you're playing in a church, so ultimately you're, you're doing the glory thing enough for all of us. And that's not really how it works. I love language in the Old Testament as it pertains to anointing and gifting. You know, when they were building the temples, it actually says there's passages of, of um there's passages of remembrance where essentially it says that, that God had anointed this, this craftsman of, of brass, that his anointing was on him, that, this, that, this, that God had anointed these people, these timbersmen, to cut down trees, that God had anointed these people who, who worked with, with jewels and rubies, that God had anointed all of these people for his divine purposes. See, a lot of the times we attribute what divine purpose is to only spiritual titles, only spiritual things of significance. And I truly believe today, and I, I want to speak to wherever you're at, that God has an anointing on your life to bring glory to his name if you allow him if you'll look for him, if you'll give him time, if you'll pray to have the eyes to see what he's wanting to do. See, there are so many people I feel like who, who discount and discredit what they can offer because, well, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. Well, my small business just takes up so much of my time. There is so much God can do with your life when you're willing. But it comes from a place of God, for this purpose I'm here. And see, some of us, maybe we feel like we're lacking purpose, and no offense, if you feel like you're lacking purpose, it's because you haven't properly partnered. And what I mean by that is when partnered with God in the calling of your life, you don't lack purpose anymore because you realize that every day you're alive, he can bring you something that adds fuel to the fire. If your fire is going out, it's nobody's responsibility but your own. And a lot of the times I feel like what we do is we just go, I'm not getting fed or I need to listen to more tapes or CDs or I need more podcasts or if I just had more Christian music or if the church just offered more programs. And God's literally saying, well, if my Holy Spirit was with you 24-7 and wanted to be active and involved in your life, but you would rather just be a part of things than be a part of me. And what I'm saying is this, is I believe there's a partnership that God's wanting in your legacy that essentially you realize the significance of who you are, the gifting that is on your life, and you ask the question, God, how is it that you can bring glory to your name through what I do? Because I promise you, he can do it. I promise you, he can do it. He's de that's all he's ever done is take the things that his people do and point to himself and say, man, when you choose me, it's the greatest choice you could ever make. But more than that, I want to add this because I think this is what's very important is sometimes we sit and we read the Bible or we just can't even get into the Bible because we were just raised maybe in King James where it's like you can barely even understand every third word. And more than anything, I think it's important for you to understand that when he says, I've glorified my name, he adds this little phrase, and I'll do it again. Man, see, a lot of us are like, okay, well, that was the Bible times, and those people were different, and Peter, James, and John, and Jesus, and all those people, man, they were, they were good people, but man, they walked with Jesus. And, and God's just pointing to this passage and saying, yeah, but I didn't just glorify it through them. There's this indefinite again that God attaches to this phrase that's your promise. That, see, again doesn't just stop, Right? Like if somebody looks at you and says, hey, can you do that again? That, that isn't past tense. 
that's not like for five minutes ago or for that last thing you did. It's essentially a present tense verb that's saying, again, again, again. And once again, I feel like a lot of the times we've lost the, the almost wide-eyed wonder of how God can work again and again and again in your life because we've discounted and discredited what we've brought, had to offer once again. If people remembered in eternity forgiven pretty much a glorified subway lunch away, I'm pretty sure God can remember, you can be remembered for something as well. But what does this start with, right? It starts with, for this purpose, I've come to glorify your name. Legacy starts when you realize your purpose is to glorify. It's not to survive. It's not to provide. Man, and some of you guys are like, well, that's easy for you to say you're a pastor. Believe me, I promise. In this season, when we weighed our decision, it would have been a lot easier to survive and be here than on our own with no family, with nobody, with no there. We don't weigh our decisions on survival and superficiality. We weigh our decisions on sacrifice because where there's sacrifice, there's room for God to come through. I'm not going to lie. I, I absolutely love sacrificing because I know when I've given a piece of myself, God's replacing it with a piece of him. And see, some of us, we've never sacrificed, so we've never felt God fully. But you realize that the entire gospel is built on sacrifice. It's like so crazy to me that we could be in this day and age in Christianity where, where we can look and people really don't sacrifice. And I actually know this statistically. Great book if you want to read it. I shout out books all the time. Good Faith. Good Faith by Gabe Lyons and David Kinnaman. Their, their um, statistical analysis of the church in America. And one of their stats that they use in the book is that the largest percentage of Christians in America... The largest percentage denomination is not actually tied to any title. It's what they would call inactive Christians. Three out of five church goers in America, they classify as inactive Christians, meaning they don't tithe, they don't give regularly, they don't volunteer, and they really don't do anything in their community. 60% of all people who go to church. How many of you guys know what I'm saying is this? We profess, God, I want to meet you. God, I want to make a difference. God, I want a legacy. And God says, will you sacrifice? And we go, ooh. God goes, that's the foundation of the gospel, a sacrificed life for sin. Yet God looks at us and says, I want to build a legacy with your life. Will you sacrifice for me? What am I saying today, church, is the foundation of who we are, the foundation of what God wants to do is when we look at our lives and say, for this purpose, I am here to glorify. And whatever brings glory, I sign up for. I have glorified and I will glorify again. Never discount or discredit what you can offer and what you can bring. But you know, some of us, I feel like maybe we feel like we've, we've, we're just too far gone. We've failed the test. We've done everything wrong. And for that, I have a brief story. When I was in high school, um, I was homeschooled the first two years of high school. And uh, God bless anybody who was homeschooled, because as you can tell, I'm a social human being. So spending time with my mom 24-7 was a privilege. <laughs> Mikey! 
Uh, but, uh, but genuinely, I remember when I went back to school, I remember when I went back, there were certain things that my homeschool did not, uh, curriculum did not give me credit for. Now, I was a, I was a uh, English and history guy. And what I find interesting, you can obviously disagree, but uh, it's typically if you have a, a bend toward a gifting more towards English and history, then typically you struggle a little bit more with the math and science. And if you have a bend towards the math and science, typically you struggle a little bit with English and history. Now, here's the thing. What they don't say is if you're good at English, uh, history, and gym class, Anybody in here, gym class heroes? Woo, taking it too serious always. Only me and Jack. There are liars, right? I took, yeah. How many of you guys remember like, yeah, okay, Glenn. How many of you guys remember going, coming from gym class and you just hoped it was at the end of the day because you'd just be sweating? Like you, I had gym class second hour. The rest of the day, I was just wet. People were like, what? Did you just get out of the shower? No, man, dodgeball was incredible today. Like, the worst part was I got a B plus in gym class because my gym teacher did not love me. Anyway, um, how do you get a B plus in gym and you're a tryhard? I don't know. Um, but I remember one of the classes I struggled with was physics. And not only did I struggle with it, but it didn't help that when I was homeschooled, I just hung out here. And so the people I hung out with were always older because they weren't in high school. And so when I went back to school, my physics teacher was six years older than me, which essentially was the age of all of my friends. <laughs> because that's all I could hang out with when I was homeschooled. And so I remember not really being able to take him serious at all because I'm like, man, you are the same age as everybody I've hung out with for the last two years. But anyway, fun fact, I saw him at La Perla a few years ago. He, he's not a teacher anymore. He said, man, you were one of my favorites ever. So this story can kind of add a little context to that. Um, but I remember literally this, I hated physics so much that literally I'd walk in and there were days where, believe it or not, I could cut it up a little bit. And when that started happening, this teacher liked me, would just say, hey, do you need to just sit in the hall for this period? Not give you a detention, not write a note home to your parents, but do you just need to sit in the hall? And I would just be like, yeah, I think I do. I think I do. And so it's funny because I had a spot in the hall that to this day, if you went to, if you asked a teacher there, his name's Joe Hayden, if you asked him, do you remember where Micah Shepline used to sit, he would be able to point you to that spot. But I remember though, I, legacy, yeah. But I, I, re, I remember, <laughs> I remember though, this teacher, one time uh, he pulled me aside and uh, he was handing out test grades. And he said, Micah, after class, I'd like to talk to you, which in my mind, I'm like, okay, I do bad on all my tests. So, <laughs> so I must have done really good. And he's just worried about me or something, right? And if you knew anything about tests in my house is my mom, before social media, there was something called Parent Internet Viewer, which essentially, if you logged in, you could see your kids' grades at any time, the moment they get entered in. It's like going on the teacher's computer and looking. So my mom, before there was social media, she would just sit at home and look at all the grades that we had. And I, I, it was so bad that literally I'd take a test and I wouldn't know my grade. I'd get done and home in 15 minutes and my mom would be like, so, so you took a test today. I'm like, yeah, 10 minutes ago. She's like, you don't have a weekend anymore. Be like, what did I get? She's like, it doesn't matter. The windows need washed. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, well, can I play video games? Absolutely not. But in this particular instance, my teacher pulls me aside. He says, hey, man, you got your test score back. And I said, yeah, cool. What, what was it? He said, you got an eight. I said, an eight out of what? He said, an eight out of 97 questions. 
And he, and he looked at me and he said, dude, I'm, I'm actually worried. Like, this is the worst test score I've ever given out. He said, not only is this the worst test score, but, and I vividly remember him saying this, if you would have just pick and picked one letter of the multiple choice and put it all the same, you'd have got a better score than this. And he looked at me, he goes, he goes, were you, is this a joke or were you serious? Because if you were serious, this isn't, this is not good. And I remember looking at him and I'm like, dang, I actually did kind of try on that. I'm happy it's a joke for my mom. That's why I tell it 12 years later, <laughs> 13 years later, because then it's just not the belt. <laughs> but genuinely, he looks at me and, I, and immediately I'm just thinking parent internet viewer, parent internet viewer, parent. I'm like, hey, can I retake that test like right now? And he's like, yeah, you can. And I retook it and, st- and got a low D. But... <laughs> I, okay, side note, in that particular class, I had figured out that it was participation. So as long as you turned in your homework, you got 100%. So I turned in all my homework, targeted a low D, balanced out to a B minus, which allowed me a weekend. Somebody's got to do it. Amen. Can I get a hallelujah? <laughs> Woo! Physics and math, those were the benchmarks. <laughs> Terrible. Why am I telling kids secrets? Don't do that, any kid in here. But here's the thing, though. I'd failed so bad. I'd failed so bad. I'd failed so bad that they were worried about me. But here's the thing. He was ready for, here's another test, just retake it. And I think a lot of the times God's looking at your legacy and he's saying, yeah, I know you failed, but let's just retake this mug. Yeah, I know you failed, but it's, let's do another one. Yeah, I know you failed, but you got it tomorrow. Yeah, I know you failed, but my, my grace covers your past. Yeah, I know you failed, and you maybe think you got the worst score humanly possible for the first 30 years of your life, but my grace covers the 30, and my glory wants to cover the next 30. And I promise you this, church, a lot of the times what we do is we hang everything on yesterday and don't believe in a God of tomorrow. We don't believe in a God who can make anything good out of all bad, and that's the only God we've ever served. Do you believe that he crucified his only son? If he left it there, what gospel do we have? But he took the worst and turned it to the best. He took the broken and he brought fulfillment. He restored what everybody thought was defeat. And we look at our tests and say, God, what could you do with this? And he just says, try again. Because I'll forgive again, I'll give grace again, and I can sanctify unto glorify. See, some of us, we want all the glory with none of the sanctification. Our God is essentially, if you wake up and say, how can I be like Jesus and model the life after? I'm going to be in your word. I'm going to be in community. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to have the depth, the disciplines. I'm going to do it. There's a legacy that he has for you. But if all you're doing is saying, I don't want to sacrifice and I don't want to retake the test, then I'm happy you're at church, but there's nothing really here for your future. But there can be a lot for your future if you choose it. And today, what I wanted to really drive home is that for this hour you were made, that he would be glorified in you and that he would glorify again again and again and again only God would write the story of a small church in Michigan 
Clayton A. Church in one of the largest cities in America. Only God would write that story. But I can tell you this, that God wants to write your story just as much. So what I want to do, we haven't done this in a while, is we're going to put some questions on the screen and let people process for a few minutes. And what I mean by that is I think it's so easy to listen to sermons and not have any practical anything attached. And today I just felt like there was a practical moment for people. So we're just going to take two or three minutes. Whether you want to take a picture and look at these later, whether you want to draw some notes down, or whether you just want to think and ponder on it, I just want to create space for it.